0: to First Foods podcast made by and for Indigenous people and our allies who are ready for a new day for old ways. Greetings and a warm handshake to each one of you. My name is Kristinia Ayala. I'm a a Jahangu Lakota woman from the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota.
1: My name is Nigawis Okwam from Sweetgrass First Nation. This program is graciously made possible by Her Many Voices Foundation, Grinding Stone Collective, and Ibex Puppetry. Our guest is Curtis McAdam. Hi Curtis.
2: Hi everyone, nice to meet you.
1: Um, Rather than me read out your bio, I guess I could just get you to read out your bio.
2: I don't have it on me right now. Oh, don't.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, if you want to just tell us a little bit about who you are and um, what you're going to talk to us about tonight.
2: Well, I, my name is Curtis McCadam. I, I grew up in Canada, Saskatchewan. Um, I grew up in, in a very traditional Cree home. I live in the Northern part of Canada. So uh, like the Northwest Territories borders, I think about six hours, seven hours from here. So it's not too mm-hmm. far. I grew up in a very traditional home. I'm one of the very few people that wasn't, uh, I didn't grow up in residential school. So both my parents were hidden away when that era came. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in in a very traditional home. So trapping, hunting, ceremonies, everything like that. So medicine picking too. Um, I'm a father of one. I lived in a city for quite a while. I worked for Corrections Canada. I also work for Native Counseling Services, and I, I used to deliver Indigenous programs for, for Corrections Canada for a good number of years. So.
0: And what is Corrections Canada?
2: Uh, Correctional Services Canada. That's a federal prison.
0: Oh, I see.
2: Yeah. And that's about it, I think. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: And so so today you work for uh, counseling services, you
2: said? Um, I work for Big River First Nation today. I'm an employment manager there. So I bring in in training for Indigenous people in my community for employment. Uh, So there'll be safety tickets, uh, Northwest College. Sometimes I bring them in to to do computer training with the band Mm. members here.
0: Oh, that's what you meant when you said... You wanted to bring something in like a solar s- solar school to yep. teach. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: So I'm looking at projects like that. I was talking to the chief. He's interested in going into solar energy because well, mm-hmm. of the weather out here. It's getting worse. Uh, the environment is changing quite a bit out here too. So yeah. So it's affecting us. So that's what i do and and sometimes what i'll do is i'll talk to elders out here and i'll ask them to see if they could uh, do ceremonies for band members and surrounding communities too so it's more about teaching them about current events of what's happening um, explaining to them about the sickness that is going around right now too and turning to medicines that you know that's been in our generations for for a long time
0: mm-hmm. What kind of medicines are you talking about?
2: The medicines that uh, they they want us to start picking up is, first they talked about uh, smudge. It's, uh, it's sweetgrass. We use that quite often, but there's also like uh, jack pines that we use out here. And those jack pines really helped a long time ago with, uh, with my people, especially. Uh-huh. Um, some of the people that live on this reserve, like most of the people I should say from Big River Reserve, They come from uh, Rocky Boy, Montana, and they migrated down to, they lived in Chief Mountain for a while because of the war that was going on in the States, and then they went down to uh, Alberta, and they continued on south from there. They left some people, some people wanted to stay there, today they call themselves Yellowbirds, Cardinals, Makokas, and Saddle Lake, and then uh, they went to uh, Frog Lake, and then Stony Lake, and then eventually they found this land here, this is where they stayed. So... Uh. Um, the people that uh, came from out there, uh, whitefish people, they call them, Cree, we call them Atikamek, And they're direct descendants to uh, uh, Windy Boys out in Rocky Boy, Montana. So
3: mm-hmm.
2: I got cousins out there that I visited about four years ago. And I, my mom used to tell me about the stories about how people migrated from there. And on my dad's side, um, so Seisiweham's side, he took a treaty here in 1878. And uh, we've lived here from that side of the family for thousands of years, as far as that he can remember from the stories that he shared with me. So.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then from there, um, I'll, I'll go into my dad's side of the story. When uh, back in, uh, in 1878, 1876, approximately that era, prior to that, there was uh, there was civil unrest up here too. So there was Métis and Indigenous people, Cree people, Soto people. Um, there was civil wars going on, and Louis Riel was part of that. So um, Big Bear was also a part of it. And there were stories uh, of warriors that took part of that. And while that was going on, too, there was Indian agents starting to come out further north, where I live, especially uh, where my people come from, Sayshueham people. There was no trails. There was no wagon trails. There was no way. It was it was uh, was very hard to get in there. So when they did start making their way in there, what happened was they brought in sickness and there was literally thousands of people that lived there. And the main food that they had was, uh, there was a lake there that all the little villages that lived right around, it. it's about 19 square miles. It's called Delaron Lake today. Uh, But back then they called it Stony Lake. So when they lived out there, they lived mainly on fish their main travel was uh, sl- horse, um, sleigh dogs, um, boats, uh, canoes. So they hunted off the land, and, and their main food was fish, deer, moose, buffalo. Uh, before all that, was uh, a lot of those animals are gone now. So, mm. But that's what they mainly lived on, and everybody was healthy. And there was literally thousands of people that lived in that area. And mm. then they started uh, to have Indian agents come after the treaty signing. And they were going to survey, and there was sickness brought in. And but prior to that, there was a, a day school there, and religion was a part of it. So there was traffic going in and out, and the more people that from the outside that came into that land area, our home area, um, the sickness came. And first was the cold and smallpox, um, Spanish flu, yellow fever. Those kind of sicknesses started to come, and it wiped out over half of my people mm-hmm. so it got to a point okay. from from what my grandfather used to talk about was that people died uh, on a regular basis every morning they would wake up you know it's like he said that we, we'd, we'd be talking by the fire in a teepee and we'd be talking and visiting and when we, we all went to bed half of those people that we were visiting didn't wake up so oh, it was pretty gosh. much yeah, they pretty much had to bury people. Um, they didn't dig very deep. So, you know, when I go visit the land out there today, I would find um, skeletons, uh, you know, coming out and we would bury them again. So,
0: oh. Well, so that, yeah.
2: that happened for quite a while. Um, and then they did a ceremony. It was a, a shaking tent ceremony. They called that shaking ceremony. And they asked, the, um, I guess, spirits they asked them to help them and the spirits told them that you need to start going back into the plants so they were doing that already they were living off of the plants so they had wild rice they had potatoes wild potatoes wild carrots and onions and they were living off of plants and berries like that already but this flu this flu that they were facing needed a different kind of remedy so they started using uh, jack pines uh, certain kinds of jackpines, and they started know i'm crushing those ones and, and taking the needles out and and using that to to fight off the the sickness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the other one they used was also uh, skunk sakak we call that one increase sakak so they used that one so they passed that part of of that pandemic and mm-hmm. and since then it's like um, after the pandemic what happened was a lot of people that were you know that survived the pandemic they they moved to montreal lake and some of them moved here a lot of us moved here actually in, in bigger first nation it's called that today and then there's uh chicken and pelican neighboring reserves that uh, other people had moved for for shelter because um, the people that were bringing in the sickness it was uh, uh, they didn't trust it no more what was happening and there was very few of us left so the ceremonies that started out there, too, were uh, chicken dance, uh, um They did uh, round dances. There was so many ceremonies that happened over there. And my mom took me to this one spot, and my sister knows it, too, Sylvia. And uh, she took us to this one spot, and she would talk about, this is the place where the women did the Sundance. And I was looking at her, and I thought, what? Women? The women did the sundance and goes yeah it was all women no men were allowed mm. so at one point you know when i when i look at the history of where i come from where my people come from there were sundances that women had did that was only for them so you know that the colonization had changed that greatly and the people that were there um you know, they, they stopped doing that. And it wasn't just the pandemic. The pandemic came with, um, um, you know, that civil war with Louis Riel and the passage system. And, and there was laws implemented along with that, too, while well, the sickness stayed around for, you know, for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. So the laws changed and the Indian in that came in and, you know, the day schools that they had, they took them apart because the kids kept running away. So they sent them to North Battleford Industrial School. My grandfather, my great grandfather was sent there. He stayed there until he was 21 and they were take. they took him when he was a little child and he came back barely able to read or write and he couldn't count. You know, I think he was mm. able to count up to seven in English. So, you know, I, I grew up with, um, some of my family were impacted by, you know, when you talk about that pandemic back then, it, it came with, um, other situations like that like the residential school so you know some some of the kids went there and and they couldn't heal from the grief and loss of their people um, because they were sent into residential schools and and you know they were adopted out eventually in the 50s and the 60s and that happened so it didn't stop when the pandemic was over when we got you know used to the colds and flus and fevers you know that era didn't stop. That continued on. Um, with uh, you know, today we're we're bombarded with foster care system. It, it's it's so bad, you know. Uh, kids, I've got family out there that I'm just starting to to meet now, and some of them were adopted out, and we still haven't found one family member out there from, from all that. So now we have truth and reconciliation. That's that's supposed to amend that. So. I still take a lot of the medicines. I still make medicines at home because that's that's what I know. You know, when I think back and when I turn to remedies that can help us, I I, I don't get the flu shots and I don't plan on getting the vaccine because, you know, back then they talked about the vaccines and uh, they, the elders recommended not to take it. So I, I won't be taking it. So when my, my dad was talking to me about the pandemic of, of our people, I asked my mom, like, what happened here? And then they started talking about the same sickness hit this reserve too. And she remembers a lot of that sickness that went around here too. And um, they she mentioned that there was a priest that used to go around giving whiskey to people um, that were sick. So, and then I asked her, what about these blankets they used to give that, was filled with sickness i'm hearing that stuff too in school i'm reading that and and the food rations. she started talking about that and then she said my my dad was a lifetime counselor he was a lifetime headman and uh, the the one time the indian agent came to visit us and he had brought blankets and food rations and you know the food was in the can and my grandfather had was A special dog he had, he he went everywhere with him, hunting and trapping and months on end, right? And this dog protected him. And they had about four dogs, he said. And after the Indian Indian agent was done visiting, he left and he left the food behind. And I guess my grandfather opened up all the cans and put the blanket outside and, and spilled all the food. And he told all his kids not to bother it. And so they went to bed. The next morning, my grandfather told my mom, go check on the dogs. So she left and she went outside looking for the dogs. And they were all laying on the ground. And they were all dead, except the one dog that uh, uh, my grandfather, you know, took care of. That's the, that was the only one that didn't eat the food. So I asked my mom, why, why did those dogs die? And then she said, my, my dad told me that they put something in the food that was supposed to affect us. So, but she, he knew, um, so that's why he did that with the foods. He spoke it, he said. My grandfather was a, a spiritual person. Um, he was the second last person that was what we call in Kree, in Kree, to translate that, it means half human and half spirit. He had that ability to, to change into a wolf. And people had talked about that still sometimes today that they witnessed them do that. And there was another grandfather I had to call him, begin, begin. and he was very gifted too. He died in, in the early 80s and he was a, a fire healer, that elder. He used fire to heal people. So, you know, we when these pandemics happened, we had elders and spiritual people that guided us through that. So, you know, when I, when I was looking at the, the eras of what happened in the past and I'm thinking about everything that kind of t- transpired back then even the racism that people couldn't go and get the food because they were native or black or you know they had to go certain places and the food that they brought here it was it was rations and and the Indian agent would have a storage facility for that and he kept the food and most often the food would go rotten and, and uh, the food would go to a waste so But they couldn't leave the reserve to go hunt too because of the civil wars that were going on and the government thought that they were they would take part of it so they had to hunt and trap in the in the reserve and they lived off of gophers for quite a while and that's what my grandfather my grandmother used to cook that when i was a kid and i remember she would cook that she got to liking the taste of gophers so she cooked that for people and she would talk about that era where she grew up, where they weren't allowed to leave the reserve and they had to live off a small game, whatever came into the reserve is what they live off of. So you know, when you look at the pandemic, there's a there's a, a bigger picture of stuff that goes on, you know, things that were supposed to be right ended up being wrong. You know, when I look at this pandemic that we're at right now, too, you know, it's a series of events that kind of happened. We were told a long time ago by those elders from the first pandemic that what's going to happen in the future and they said there's going to be four sicknesses that's going to come and when that happens you have to prepare and these are the medicines you got to take so you know it's a generational teachings that i i have and when you look at elders today it's we don't have any elders out here we have people that are old but those elders that I'm talking about, they're authentic elders that had that inherent knowledge. And when I say that, they're apito atayohan, they're those spiritual people that were really gifted. We don't have those no more. We do have spiritual people. I and mean, I'm grateful for that. They do contribute quite a bit today. They keep the stories and the knowledge of, of past pandemics and what they, our people had done. And that's what they're following today out here too. So... You know, when that COVID hit us here, first thing people did is what do we do? So the knowledge people, the knowledge keepers and the elders kind of started guiding people and telling them that there's medicines you got to pick and there's medicines you got to drink. And so we started doing that. There's some people that took the vaccine out here and they're okay, but um, I'm going to stick with what the elders had told us a long time ago is that I'm not by any means telling people to do it that way. This is the way I was taught is that I'm not supposed to take it, so I'm still following that. My dad passed away about a year and a half ago, a year ago, and he said the same thing before he left. He was talking about all this, and we sat in my living room, the living room here, his house at the time. And, you know, just before he passed away, he was telling me about what's going to happen in the future, what his elders had told me, and uh, he 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 spoke about it in such detail that it's scary that I'm seeing it unfold. Um, you know, I. Uh, and what's coming after the pandemic too. It's, it's scary what's happening. It, it's not gonna, um, I think, you know, um, when we talk about vaccines, I mean, there's another sickness that came already. It's here in Saskatchewan, and that's, that came from Britain, and there's another one from Brazil and South Africa. So, you know, there's four sicknesses that came, just like what they said, you know, my mom passed away about almost two years now and she talked about that too before she passed away and she said to me is that there are sicknesses that'll come and it's going to hit the older people and the young ones pretty hard and again you know she reminded me of the remedies that people need to to do to to help themselves with that so and with the food out here too I mean you know this pandemic is is a terrible thing but in a sense, too, that I'm seeing more people going back out into the land and and they're not really shopping. They're going out into the land and it's their way of social distancing from people. They don't want to be in contact with people. And they're hunting and they're, they're hunting small game and moose. And But with that sickness, too, they also said that keep an eye on the animals because the animals are going to be the first ones. And before the sickness came, there was... Um, know that mad cow disease that they that they have well the deer started getting it out here too so we're careful about what we eat out here too so some people still eat them but we have to get them tested so and then they (laughs) shared also too um about this pandemic that's coming and they talked about the animals quite a bit they said they're the first ones to go and you'll see them starting to get sick too but they also said they're going to exhibit behavior that is human like behavior and people will exhibit the behaviors that they had. So when you look at the situations going around globally right now, you know, look at what uh, Donald Trump did and what people did with their, some few people died from that too. You know, the, what Louis Riel had done too, was trying to change something and They were warriors that helped, you know, prior to this pandemic, there's black lives that matter, land back, Idle No more, you know, all these, all these things that are going on, they were trying to prevent something because globally, you know, the environment has changed quite a bit out here. It's, you know, just the little things that, you know, when I tell people, um, it's like, it's nothing for them, but for me being out in the bush, A lot of good part of my life, you know, that's a huge, significant change. Before my my dad passed away, I asked him about, what was it like growing up from your time? He said, you know, I grew up in a sled dogs. I was a child riding those, and we used to go hunt, and that's how I grew up. And then suddenly there were horses that were brought here from the south of uh, Canada here. And then I grew up with horses, and then suddenly vehicles came, and cars, and now I'm riding in this plane, he said, you know, he's seen that whole era, so he's seen the changes of the environment, and I asked him, what what was it like, the snow the snow back then, he said, the snow was as high as these homes, and sometimes they would be as high as halfway up the tree, and I was, like, in, in, in amazement when I hear this story, because when I go out today, you know, I'm lucky to have the snow that goes up to my knees, or there's some years you know, it barely goes above my, my ankle. So you know, when you look at the environment, that's changing quite a bit. You know, these sicknesses that come out here, they're trying to tell us something. They're giving us warning signs that, you know, if we don't change what's what's happening, if we don't stop wasting stuff, then, then this is what's going to happen. You know, things are not going to get better. And you look at our forest, you know, there's... I took my dad out to the land where he grew up in, and the pandemics came, and the sickness came, and in all these laws that prevented Indigenous people from, you know, flourishing and and, and living a, a better life. They were out in the land. That that was his freedom. And I took him out to the land and and hold on, let me get some more. I have to drink water because this is kind of sad for me this part and uh, he was sitting in a car and you got to imagine there are stacks of logs like two stories high and he grew up in this land and he got out of the car very slowly and then he walked up towards me and he walked by me and then he looked out to the places where he grew up and said what is this place he said. And then I said, That's your home. He couldn't recognize it. All the trees were gone. So he just stood there for a while and I took a picture of him and that's what I sent. And I thought, This is important because, you know, this is a place where he survived because of the pandemic and the aftermath of this residential school and the laws that the Canadian government had brought and the children that were stolen. This is the place he, 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 he was taken to to survive and those were areas that my mom had survived too so you know I grew up in a home when I said I wasn't really impacted by residential school there was some day school that my dad went to and my mom too so that was some impact there but cultural stuff they they had pretty much intact and they were giving me information that was like you won't see today at all you know those kind of ceremonies are gone half over half our ceremonies are gone so
3: yeah,
1: yeah, I've actually heard of quite a few uh, stories of that happening where um, people just took their kids out into the land and hid from those uh, people that would come grab your kids for a residential school.
2: Yeah, some some of my half of my family went through that my aunties and my uncles and and today, you know, my dad didn't go to residential school. He was raised by like 70 year olds and 80 year old people and and they were he said that they, they moved like they were 40 still at that back then they were they were very healthy so and he grew up with them for quite a while and eventually you know he was he was a young man and he left home and he was about 16 or 17 he said when I left home and then uh, this policy came out the sugar bee policy they call it I guess today um where they took native people into semi-trucks, you know, the kind back then where they put cattle in there. That's the kind they put my um, my grandfather and my dad in them, and they would ship them out to the States to go work. So, and if they didn't work, they there was like certain things they were cut off from the government here. And I was a part of that era too. So I grew up working in Sugar beets And I remember being taken out of school to go work up there. So, you know, that uh, um, it was for decades those things happened after the pandemic. So when, when they changed the policy, you know, they couldn't find workers out in, uh, in the farmer's field. So, you know, the pandemic didn't just affect people dying, but it also affect, uh, I guess, their economic growth. So they had to get workers somewhere. That's what I think when I look back at it and I think about it, you know, it must have had some role in it. So. And there were people that, you know, certain families, when they talk to other families, they talk about their experiences too. Even like uh, that preacher that went around giving whiskey to people. And he told people to, to if you come to church, I'll, I'll give you a medicine. So, you know, there's some churches, that, the rumor is that they drank whatever it is they were given. They were, all of a sudden, um, the next day they were healed. They were better. I think they were using the vaccine. In, in that way where you know it boosted religion so when people did that they talked again and said it helps going there so you know more people started going to religion and they started uh, drinking the medicines that they were given there so um, but there was a lot of people that didn't go to my family was one of those ones so.
1: Yeah, my, my reserve just recently, well, I think it was about two years ago, they got a payout from uh, the government. It wasn't very much. I think we got about 500. It worked out to about 500 each, but that was, um, they were labeled as um, a rebel band and they were uh, denied rations in those times. So there was, there was my band, Sweetgrass, and then there was Quite a few others i think but just just only like two years ago that that got a
2: payout that, that happened with us too i think though it was about a year ago a year and a half ago that we got that money but you know i wish people i wish the government would have explained that a little bit more and and talk about that a little bit more too and how how that came about too because it, that's that's a, an important part of history too you know that Contributed mm-hmm. to the ongoing um, destitution i guess on on reserves and the poverty that that mm-hmm. continues on in reserves so that was a contributing causes of that too so those laws that they placed with with those ones so those kind of things that came out you know it's it's when the pandemic began these other laws started to take effect like that so i'm i'm seeing that even now like our, our education is starting to be affected, you know you look at foster care system it's it's you know it's not the same as you go into the cities, where the money that they get there it's not the same and on reserves here is it's different so but i'm glad they they won that court case too so.
1: yeah well it sure took a long time.
2: It sure did. yeah. <laughs> A decade or something like that in the making uh, i
1: don't know that would have been 18 like 80 i guess we signed Treaty six in 1886 so it would have been like 1887 something like that
3: i'm mm-hmm. not sure
1: yeah uh, you mentioned your sister too sylvia McAdam. i've uh much love and respect for her as many indigenous people do across turtle island uh what is your sister up to these days is she on the on the home lands with you guys
2: well she ran for council here and this one other lady too so um they're the first ones um to be council here and
1: wow you know, there's a, so she's there's a, a counselor there right now
2: yes she is yeah. oh wow a,
1: good stuff
2: yeah she's also working at uh inter- Ontario also so she's a professor out there too so because of what's happening with the pandemic here is the classes are not full-time they're online so she's juggling quite a bit she's working here she's doing classes uh, online and at the same time she's taking her master's in law I believe it's a master's in in Toronto I believe so she's finishing that up as well too she's got quite a bit so I was trying to contact him I sometimes have a hard time contacting him because she's so busy all the time
0: I'd imagine Yeah. awesome lady Yeah, Yeah. it's definitely a full plate she's got going on there. Yeah. 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 And
1: that's how that's how I kind of noticed you is I kind of always see you guys, um, I see you always updating all these things that you guys are doing for your band members. And I was just like, Wow, I can't believe that they do all these things. Like I saw like driving courses, gun courses.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on then. We're trying to to do more after April, so there's more planning to do and we want to do some land-based teachings too. We want to uh, put tents out there maybe, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we're kind of juggling around too, So, but for now what's, what's happening with people, the way they're trying to deal with the pandemic here is that nobody's really visiting, but there's still sweat lots that go on, but there's only like four or five people there allowed and and they're the ones, they're the same ones that keep going into these ceremonies too. And then there's drumming that goes on too in, in different homes. I think tomorrow night or tonight they're having a drumming night at the at the hall. So you know the social distancing, they're still practicing that, but at the same time, they they need to keep the children and the and, and the youth occupied. So you know it's it's something that, that is really helping people you know, lift their spirits up too.
0: Mm-hmm. So That's really that, awesome yeah that sounds really good so you know I, I work with a project uh, on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota and it's all about um, you know returning to the earth to grow our own foods so that uh, it makes us more sovereign as people and uh, but it but it teaches young people where the food actually comes from you know it doesn't come from the, from the market. You know, or from the freezer, it actually comes from the earth, and it really is a soothing, healing um, area for young people to work in to work with the earth. You know, to know yeah. that that they they can become more or, yeah, more self-sustainable by eating the the um, the the food that's free from pesticides and different things like that. And so we we have a, a Brian Deans, who lives in the Slim Buttes community on Pine Ridge, um, he built a Wallapini, which is an underground greenhouse. He has uh, about four high wind tunnels, which extends your growing season. Um, when when uh, After a harvest is over, they have people who go and, and uh, they uh, get the seeds uh, that are left on each plant. So they so they start their seed saving program for the next season to begin. So they uh, they have all that food growing, but then they've also done a lot in the area of building rocket stoves. You know, So there's a, a lot of ways to, to get alternative heating systems going that require very little wood. Uh, you could even make um, uh, wood chips, or not wood chips, what is it called? I don't think they call them wood chips. But anyway, so it all takes very little, um, Out of the environment, you don't have to chop trees down or anything because you can just go around and and pick up wood chips, you know, Um, and and then doing alternative building, you know, building homes from uh, the earth building raising homes up out of the earth and uh, there are a lot of uh, places that can uh, help you if you want to research something like that. Um, One of them would be Cal Earth in California. they build their homes with like, well, I just call them sandbags because that's really basically what they are. But they sell them at Kellers, and they they call them something else. Right. But you can you can build a, a 400 square foot dome home, and if there's if there's about seven or eight volunteers that are really willing to work, you can have one of those raised in under a week, and they're very very nice very nice, very warm. I like the way they're built. They have this big, big frog, big mouth frog looking chimney thing. And it's, and it's called, um, oh, I want to say it's called a a wind catcher, but it's not. Oh gosh. I hate it when I'm tired and I can't think of names. (laughs) But no, you know what it does in the summertime? If there's a cool breeze coming, you, you open that up and the cool breeze goes in. And because it's a circular home, you know how we all used to live in circle circular homes, in yeah. one yeah. fashion or another, and the and so the wind will actually go around the room, in in circular motion and and cool the temperature down, and then right. in the winter time you can, you close that off. You know there's controls at the bottom so you can close that off to help it stay warm, and so the wind can't blow down there, <clears throat> and then you can have a like a rocket stove inside to keep the inside really warm. You know, so you're saving a lot on building. You're saving a lot on heating. You're saving a lot on electricity. I mean, it's a really exciting um, place to be. And yep. yeah, so um, have have your people done a lot of research around that?
2: I think, you know, when, when I asked my dad about stoves, he, he would talk about, we used to make stoves, and we used willow and then clay, and then we would put it all together. It took a while, but we began, once we make a fire, it turns into a rock, like cement, he said. Yes. Oh. pretty much how they live. And then See? he started talking about certain plants that you can take also, and uh, and they're usually in a, in a pond, and I can't remember what he called them, but if I saw them, I'm pretty sure I would find them. And. They would take these certain plants and they looked almost like cups, he said, and then okay. we would put them in fire, then we would use that as a temporary pot and, and boil water with it and then we would drink oh, make wow. tea with that too. So you know those, those kind of things that they're starting to revive here slowly, people yeah. are talking about it like I took my nephew out here a few times now, and my son has come back and he wants to go back out into land so I think I want to, I want to do a, a, a survival Type of shelter, showed them how uh-huh. to do it the way uh-huh. I was taught and, and begin with that way, you know, getting people back into the land of young people, especially.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. That yeah. would be marvelous. I mean, there's so, uh, you know what? So I, I listened to this woman and her name is Valerie Carr and she's, her organization is called Revolutionary Love. Um, but what she, <clears throat> but what she talks about, <clears throat> she said, in the times that we're in, are we in the darkness of the tomb? No, I think we're experiencing the darkness of the womb. And a new way of being is just being born. Yeah. And, and, and your thinking and the thinking of the indigenous people about, oh, that is so exciting to hear you say that they built a stove and made it turn into like stone. See, that's the kind of stuff we have to bring back. That's yeah. what, we'll yeah, we do. That. we do, we sure. do. Yeah. And and we can do a lot of sharing, you know, because yeah. of this kind of technology. Yeah, uh, Brooke and Desiree introduced me to this.
2: Yeah. You know what? Uh, the other thing I wanted to start looking into with with some of my family members is training the dogs to become uh, sleds again. To you know, yes. to rely on those animals. Oh a little God. bit, God! Oh. Yeah. Those. And uh, when I asked my dad about how did you do that a long time ago? Well, it's easy. You know, for him, it was easy because, you know, they they had dogs already. So (laughs) he told me before he passed away what I had to do. And I said, if I get a bunch of res dogs together, do you think you can help me train them? He goes, yeah, I could. He said so. Now I gotta get dogs, and I think you know this oh. summer I want to start training dogs to to do some a little bit of that or or hauling you know something what they used to use them a long time ago for. And yeah, I want yeah. to explore those areas again.
0: Do you know who I contacted? I did a rod when I was putting one of my first projects together. Yeah. So many people. Uh, and a lot of my relatives they live down in like little gullies or something like that so when the snow comes really hard they can hardly get their cars up there at all and it's really dangerous and so I said oh my god we need because I think most reservations are, are um, overpopulated with with dogs and the reason for that is like my cousin she says you know they say well we're gonna you know they will help you with with your dogs because she feeds all the feral dogs they said but you have to let the, us take them back to spay them or neuter them and she said "Uh, uh-uh, i don't need your help you're going to do that that's a nation of dogs you don't do that destroy their generations <clears throat> so like yeah. i said there's an overpopulation of dogs so i said we need to we need to bring dog sledding here to to the reservations so that especially the elders can get to where they need to go you know yeah. and and so i love, i gosh great minds think alike oh. <laughs> <laughs> so t- let me know how your program goes because
3: yeah i,
2: I would yeah. still
0: love to see that get started yeah and then no, maybe no, you can teach me
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to try it okay. um, when my when my dad used to talk about dogs a long time ago they never had dogs like the way we have them today on the reserve they're all over the place and they go in groups right they didn't have problems like that so you know it's it's so amazing some of these stories when he you you listen to him and he starts talking and you know he shared stories about wolves sometimes they would be lost out in a forest and my one of my uncles was lost and there was a wolf that came and he showed him how to get home It took him all the way home. It was about 19 miles he had to walk and I think he was about 11 years old and it was, you know, in the winter and darkness come sooner out here, you know. And when he got lost, he was wandering around already for a couple hours and he said that it was a dog that came, but it was, the way he described it, it was a wolf. He thought it was a dog at that age, but it was a wolf that took him home. So, you know, the relationships that Indigenous people had with the land, it wasn't just the land, but it was also with the animals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big believer. That happened to me too.
1: That happened to me too when I was young. I was like 10 years old and I was walking home with my sisters on the reserve and it was pretty late and we were really scared. And then all of a sudden these dogs came out of nowhere and walked us home and then in the morning they were gone yeah. so, mm-hmm. really
0: cool oh i have a dog story too so you know <laughs> in my in my family you know we're never supposed to be out after dark if that first street light is comes on you better be in the house you know yeah. so anyway i went i went my sis my parents, I don't know where they went, but my sister, we were baking a birthday cake or a, an anniversary cake for them. She sent me to the store. It took longer than it needed to. And it was starting to get dark. And just because my mother had told me that only things that are shicha come out at night, you know, if there's if they're bad, that's right. when they come out. So I was, I was walking along and I was, and I was looking up and I said, oh, it's getting dark. Oh no. And I've still got a ways to go. And I started crying, you know, and I closed my eyes because I was really boohooing. And, uh, and then when I opened them, there was the cutest little dog looking at me and almost dancing and being so happy to see me. And, you know, and I could hear, I could almost hear it saying, don't worry, I'm, I'm here, you know, we're going to have a good time now, and that dog walked me all the way home, and when I saw my house, I turned around to thank it, and it was nowhere to be seen,
2: yeah, the wow. Shunkha,
0: they're very, yeah, yeah, okay. I think they take care of us, even, you know, yeah, yeah, yep.
2: you know, with with this stuff going on out here, too, people are, are going back out into the land a little bit more, and I'm not so busy with, you know, with the Western life, as much as I used to be now, even me, I'm going out there a little bit more. And I'm starting yes. to find that even in evenings like right now, that you know it's almost dark, but not quite dark. I could, you know, sometimes when I'm sitting here at this spot, I'll be looking at my porch and I'll see like wild animals coming right up to my porch, like a fox, you know, you'll oh, yeah, be sitting there, right? Those kind of relationships are starting to slowly come back to with these animals, too. So they're coming oh. around more often,
0: yeah. yeah, and that's good because. The more people oh, begin know, to realize you know, that they were all here before us, you know, yeah. and so there are elders, they're our elder brothers, they're our elder, you know, sisters and stuff, and we have to learn from them. They're our original teachers, yeah. and they forget that sometimes. For sure. Yeah,
2: I see this one picture of a. It was an old picture, I think it was a, you know, eighteen hundred some somewhere around then, but it was a very old teepee also. And this indigenous lady was standing by the door and if you look to the side there you can see a dog standing there but if you look at it closely it's a wolf and so they had you know their pets were wolves back then Mm -hmm. and uh you know that relationship they had and i I would love to see that happen again but if a wolf came up to me now i think i'd be scared and run back to my vehicle
0: (laughs) (laughs) no you've got to have courage you've got to be the 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 model
3: Yeah.
1: (laughs) So I have like all these questions I could ask, um, that I want to ask, but probably since I have you here, and since we know that your sister is Sylvia McAdam, co-founder of Idle No More, what what are your opinions on Land Back and uh, the popularity of that movement these days?
2: Well, I know what it's done for Indigenous people, our land. You know, I'll share this with you. Last year, I went and built, you know, before my dad passed away, here's what me and my dad did. We went and built a sweat lodge out in the land. And then we made him a makeshift shelter. And then he started to get sick and and we weren't done. So that fell apart. So I went and got all the stuff. And after he passed away, I thought, you know, I got to go finish what he did. So I went back, you know, after he passed away some months back. And I went and built a sweat lodge the way he showed me. And then I built a little shelter out there too for that. You know, I, I went back there not too long ago with my son, just because this podcast was coming up. And I thought I need to reconnect a little bit back out there. It's been a while. So I went out there and everything that I had made out there, um, it's been taken down again. So we put trailers out in a different part of our land too. And, you know, people are already going there to damage them. So you know, I, I'm a big supporter of Land Back. I'm a big supporter of going back to the land. I know what it has done for my family, my generation of family. And I know what it can do for people, too. So, you know, it's, there's, it, there's a healing process people will go through. And there's a discovery for themselves, too. You know, it's more than, it's more than um, you know, what we read sometimes out in, out in the newspapers and social media or whatever. Uh, if you go out there for about a month without technology... You know, it's gonna change you for sure. The wildlife and, and the land too. So, yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, that's a interesting perspective. I know I listened to one of your sister's videos where she was talking about um. I listened to quite a few of her videos. On one of her, I I don't know. I've seen her in quite a lot of different places, but in this one video, she was talking about going back to the land um, with one of her, maybe her nephew or somebody. And yep. she said they were out there for how long, and then they went back to the city or to town or something, and they went and had a bunch of junk food, and then they were going back home and they started puking. <laughs>
3: <I remember laughs> that story yeah
2: so like they couldn't handle
1: the junk food after being on the land for so long
2: yeah your body changes your it's not just your mindset but your body does change you know your taste for western food you know it changes and Mm -hmm. you know some of the walks that we we had taken part in that there was quite a few walks we did out there and I think there's still some pictures in my facebook but you know we recorded quite a bit of them and people started to come out but since the pandemic um we haven't done very much out there except build a few things here and there but each time we build them um somebody goes and takes them down and they i don't know what happens to them so um, i bought a trail cam this time so my i was telling my son this and he goes you know what you need you need a trail cam and i go okay then so he ordered some trail cams. so next time i put something out there i think i'm gonna add those on there somewhere too so
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. so she's still a big advocate in that and we still talk and I think this spring we're going to go back out there and, and start building again two more places so you know I'm, I'm going to keep encouraging people to the same thing what she does is like go back out in the land you know our reserve is is not our home our, our mm-hmm. land is our land it's bigger than that you know it, it goes right into the United States and it goes, that's what I always you know, tell people part
1: that's what i always tell people too because it's like people are scared to leave the res and it's like all of turtle island is supposed to be your home like why are you so attached to the res
2: yeah yeah oh growing up like i I understand
1: the attachment because the like generally speaking the res is usually a pretty beautiful place for nature and whatnot but realistically all of turtle island is supposed to be your home
2: yep all of it is supposed to be our home and our neighbors are, are people that live in the United States and indigenous people, you know, we didn't have borders, those borders are not meant for us, it's, it's meant for Western people, you know, that, that live out here and foreigners too, so that's, that border is meant for them, it's not supposed to be meant for us.
1: Mm-hmm. And also the people of Mexico, the indigenous people of Mexico is the tail of the turtle.
2: Yeah, that's for sure. It's quite the story behind that, the creation story of that. And I've, I've done some storytelling in that area. So that's an interesting story, too, how that came about, uh, the origins of, of this land and how it came about. So, And the medicines that came with it, that grew from there, too, in Ontario. So, you know, so the Seven Islands, that's the last place our, our brother, our big brother took, you know, he took seven steps and the Seven Islands appeared from there. So there's quite, the, quite a history when you look at, the sacred landmarks. You know how Mount Sinai is important out there. Well, Chief Mountain is that important to us too. You know, we look at Sweetgrass Hill. That's important too because that's where Grandmother Spirit gave us part part of that sweetgrass. That's why it's purple at the tips. You know, there's a history throughout this land that uh, that are very sacred to us. That we're supposed to go when we when we need it in times like this too. So. No, today, we don't have access to a lot of those areas, too.
3: Yeah,
1: I just actually recently found out about my, I think it was my great-grandfather. Um, his name was Osawa Sis'opwam, and he lived in, uh, his original land was at Manitou Lake.
2: Oh, that's in uh, south of Saskatoon, I believe, right? Um, it's closer towards like Neilberg. Where's oh, okay, that's in Saskatchewan, though, like, yeah. right? Sagay, M- and M- M- they call that. One, yeah, right? yeah, that's, that's an interesting area, too. That water that they got there, we have that in our reserve, too. The same kind of water here,
3: mm-hmm.
2: so you know, back then they used that here for um ceremonies, they used to do ceremonies in there, and that's one of the areas, too, that you know. Today I still get water from there to to help with the medicines and even washing up. So you know it helps with the colds and flus too. So, yeah, for sure, that's the Yeah, there's a lot
1: of, of legends and stories around that area as well. Yeah. Kristinia, yeah. yeah. did you have a question? I don't know where she
0: went. Boo! I kind of I... cut you off a little bit there. Oh, that's okay, because <laughs> there. You know, I usually. Uh, turn things off a little bit because I've got all my grandkids running around and my daughter's in the middle of cooking dinner. Mm. Um, Oh, I was going to, I was, I was thinking about the land when you went and you built the, you were starting to build the sweat lodge with your father. And um, I was thinking earlier, you said that there was nobody in your community who's considered a spiritual leader or a holy man but you have people who know how to run ceremony. Is that yep. kind of what you well, said, pretty
2: much? The authentic, inherent teachers that we used to have back then, um, uh-huh. the, the ones that were half human, half spirit, uh-huh. um, those don't really exist around where where I am at now, but we do have elders that are still knowledgeable in ceremonies, Right. Uh, we do have knowledge keepers that keep stories of how the past was and medicines and all that, so. <laughs> You know, I guess what I'm saying, too, is that the knowledge is still there and if we needed to tap into it, um, uh. I think, you know, we would be back on our feet in that area, too, to getting back our, our, our ceremonies and the knowledge that we had. And I think we're slowly starting to go in that direction because, you know, it's this pandemic has gotten us to go out a little bit more into the land, so uh-huh, uh-huh. It, it, there's a, a bit of a blessing in that too. So people are, are discovering their ancestral roots a little bit, and well. they're getting stories from elders again too. So.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's really important, because you know, I was telling my uh, my grandson in Chicago last night. I said, you know, um, we have a, a one word in Lakota that means so much. We chose on you. You wish somebody we chose any. And that's uh, you're wishing and praying that they will be able to walk in balance pretty much yep. all the time. That's with your mental, physical, mm-hmm. emotional, spiritual. And I always say also between the male spirit, the male yep. and female energy that lives within all of us. But I told him the, the most important one is this is what I hear our spiritual leaders say. The most important one is your spirituality. Mm
3: -hmm. Keep
0: strong in your spirituality and teach it. Teach it because these ways will never die. And that's what uh, one of our elders said too. I think it was um, Sitting Bull. These ways will never die. He said because with the boarding school and all the death and, you know, all of the tragedies and stuff that are happening with the alcohol and the drugs, you know, one person, one person... And every family will find their way home. Yep. And when they do, they'll teach their children and their grandchildren. Yep. These ways will never die. It may get yep. thin for a while, but people are beginning to find their way back. And yep. so that's what I was thinking about when you said that, you know, that you're going back out there and, you know, you tried to finish that. And But yep. if you make a spiritual commitment to finish that or to build it brand new, um then you have to fulfill those spiritual commitments because that's between you and the creator. Yeah.
3: Yeah. For so if sure. it's between. Yeah.
0: So you can't break that. Otherwise you don't feel good. It makes you feel like some kind of way, you know. Uh, yeah. But when you see something like that through to completion and smudge it like crazy and sit in it and speak to it, speak to the earth mother, then maybe nobody will t- bother it. Yeah. yeah. You know what?
2: The other thing that's come out of this too is that I used to go to these Cree classes in uh, in when I lived in Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, it's Cree syllabics. And I've always wanted to learn that. And I finally found this place. Mm-hmm. So and then I moved back out here and I was taking those classes. Then all of a sudden, you know, because of this pandemic going on, those classes yeah. couldn't continue on. Yeah. And yeah. that elder that was teaching it, you know, he said, I don't want this to go, you know, beyond this for now, he said. So eventually, I found that he's doing Cree syllabics through online. So he's doing the teachings on that. So I, last weekend, I was on that again, you know, yeah. trying to learn these Cree syllabics. I can speak Cree pretty good, but writing it, I I never learned that. So uh.
0: you know, and
2: then, then I got these sometimes young people that they don't know what to do. So they're around my house every now and then. So I'm starting to teach this um, young lady here, my granddaughter. She's she's here and she's taking a course here. So I started teaching her how to sing and she's never sang before. And once she Mm -hmm. started to learn how to sing, you could see the confidence level go Mm up. You know, Mm -hmm. that's something I've noticed in in, in a lot of people that grow up in broken homes sometimes is that you know, that confidence level needs to go up and you can do it through ceremonies what you achieve Mm -hmm. in there. And it's amazing what you know the changes that they go through and how they grow and when they accomplish something in, in ceremonies. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: yeah. See the pandemic for, for is oh, I'll just I'll just finish with this. The pandemic is is really doing some beautiful things. The darkness is a birth. The darkness yeah, yeah. it's the darkness of the womb. You know yeah. because we're all finding our way back to the original ways. Yeah. For the
1: syllabics, you should check out Reuben Quinn on YouTube. He has a couple videos. It's called, uh, I think it's the History of Cree Language. The way he teaches syllabics is so amazing. I love the way he charts it, and he's the only one I've seen chart it that way. He's a teacher. I I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a teacher out of uh, Blue Quills First Nation University. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you should check it out if you're trying to learn syllabics that's a video you want to watch what was his last name it's ruben Ruben quinn quinn Quinn. q-u-i-n i I think Um, i worked
2: with him a few times
1: he's a cool guy yeah so cool
2: Uh, he's from alberta i believe um i think he's from Saddle lake is he from Saddle lake i think so yeah i was gonna say around that area too but i don't know exactly but yeah, I grew I, I worked with him a few times. I've met him quite a few times. and uh, yeah, I know Ruben. You know, yeah, he's yeah. a nice guy. I
1: went I went to school at Blue Quills, so I just love yeah. everybody there and I love that school.
2: Yeah, yeah. Awesome place. I'm glad how they took over that too, you know. It's like this is what you did now, this is what we're gonna do type of thing. So they got mm-hmm. to really-
1: and they, they just, they're so amazing. Like they just really go behind all their native students and they will do everything to make sure that that student succeeds.
2: Yeah, you know? for sure. I love that. In the summertime, they do ceremonies out there. I think they do chicken dance ceremonies out there. So it, Yeah, you know, and the... they
1: do some um, like land camps and stuff like that too in the summer, like land-based yeah. um, cultural camps and that.
2: Yeah. Some interesting stuff going around all over the communities right now and people are, are are posting them and i think sometimes you know i wish i was there you know and i wish <laughs> i was there each time they would post those right so
3: mm-hmm.
2: really good i'm glad i think you know when you look at our elders that's what they wanted the ones that had left us already is to see mm-hmm. our generation going back to that because that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest you know one of the biggest concerns that they always talk about are young people need to go back and I'm seeing that more and more, you know. Sometimes, you know, these things that happen like this pandemic, you know, we can look at it from from a side that it's keeping us at home, or can we, we can look at it from a side that this gives me opportunity to go back into these cultural ways and teach the young people, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's the path I'm in right now too, anyway. So
0: Good. Yeah. How are we doing on time, Mary?
1: That's what I was gonna say. I'm getting kind of tired. I think we've been talking <laughs> for longer than an hour.
0: Oh yeah, we have. We started early tonight.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we started recording at about a quarter to.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I wonder I if Brooke so. or Desiree I don't know. I can not us.
2: We started about five thirty, I think, but we didn't really get started until about quarter, like you said, yeah, quarter to six. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's right. You're in a different time zone, huh? Yep. Saskatchewan oh.
2: time zone. You're Mary. Called. Mary, are you in the same province as I am? Are you in Saskatchewan?
1: I'm in Edmonton. Oh so, wow. Yeah, we're I think MST.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm. Hi, Desiree. Hey. Um the only thing we need from you if you're ready to wrap is to like be like and this concludes our show you know like wrap up the show this concludes our show Mm -hmm. thank you so much curtis for joining us and you know see you in the next some kind of send off because that we forgot that on the last one so it's just kind of <laughs> like okay blah, 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 bye yeah oh. <laughs> <laughs> so asked since i handled the intro do you want to do the end part
0: well i i could give it a try all right
1: mm-hmm. i'll chime in and say thank you as well when you're done
0: Okay. All right. Well, Curtis, I just wanted to, to tell you how much I enjoyed our conversation tonight. I, I loved uh, that I see an awakening in you and, and you're letting the knowledge that you hold in your cellular and your uh, cellular memories and... Uh, that I can see them coming forward in you. And it makes me filled with joy. I get so happy when you start talking, (laughs) especially when you bring up the dog sleds and the things that, you know, that I thought, oh, wow, yeah, that's a a lot of esteem. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful podcast tonight. And I'm so happy that you were able to join us. Thank you so much. Thank you to our partners, Grinding Stone Collective, Green Feather Foundation, and Her Many Voices Foundation. Thank you for making this
3: possible.